Welcome to Spot on Safety, the program designed for safety professionals. Spot on Safety is brought to you by iWorkWise, providing safety knowledge when you need it. For more information about iWorkWise, go to iWorkWise.com. Welcome to Spot on Safety, Episode 10, Process Safety Management, with your hosts, Amy Does and Dan Smiley. We've had an email from a listener with a question about process safety management. We read an article that came out on OSHA's website, and uh, the title of the article was Process Safety Management Filings at Refinery Lead to $130,500 in fines. Amy, are you familiar with this story? Yeah, I've looked at it a little bit, and it's it's not very uncommon, uh, especially in this region, Region 10, um, of the, with the EPA and OSHA. There's been some pretty significant fines that uh, have gotten people's attention. Well, here it says OSHA has cited Suncor Energy, actually I'm not familiar with them, Inc., for safety and health violations proposing $130,500 in penalties. The petroleum refinery in Commerce City, Colorado, has 384 employees, and that they were fined for 26 serious violations with a combined proposed penalties of $81,000 and one willful violation with a proposed penalty of $49,500. That seems like it still seems like pretty large numbers, but on a on a refinery scale, I don't know. It doesn't it doesn't seem that large to me. Well, you know, for the most part, even with fines like that, OSHA is the small player. Um, process safety management, at least for stationary facilities, um, is is paralleled by EPA's risk management plan requirements, and the EPA has been the the party in this area who's getting all the attention. And the fines are to let's say fruit uh, warehouses in Yakima. Um, I just saw a fine that happened in the past year, and with the uh, it's almost like not really a mom and pop, but a small operation, and the fine for not having a PSM plan yet being over the threshold where one is required is a hundred thousand dollars. And that's so with with OSHA, you know, the, the refinery. I, I think you're exactly right. Um, to a refinery, a hundred thousand, hundred thirty thousand isn't that much, but but we're starting to see these fines out of EPA, whether it's a hundred thousand to somebody who that really matters to. Yeah, that, that would be a lot. Well, in order to understand this subject, I guess we should go into a- answering some of the questions that we got. So, since there have been a lot of regulations over the past two decades related to chemicals contained in systems, can you describe the violations of these regulations and what rules facilities have to comply with today? Yeah, sure. Well, well PSM applies to facilities Roughly uh, applies to facilities with with any one of a, one of 137 listed highly hazardous chemicals. The PSM standard is 29 CFR 1910119, um, and there's Appendix A that has a list of chemicals um, that would bring a party in, and also the threshold amounts. So, for instance, if you have over 10,000 pounds of anhydrous ammonia, you would fall under process safety. If you had under 15 if you had over 1,500 pounds of chlorine, gaseous chlorine, 
you would fall under process safety management. So it applies to those types of facilities. Um, and there has been some dovetailing. You know, the, the PSM standard came out um, as a result of the many hazardous material accidents um, that have happened not only in the United States, but abroad, probably the most famous of which is the Bhopal, India 1984 disaster, which killed several thousand people and injured about 100,000. And that was Union Carbide uh, in Bhopal that had a methyl isocyanate leak. Um, so when the U.S. started, after the Bhopal incident, started looking at you know, whether or not that could happen here and looking at the facilities that have large quantities of, of highly hazardous chemicals, they realized, of course, that we've been pretty lucky so far and uh, there needed to be some uh, prevention plan for, for leaks and emergency response planning. So since PSM came out, um, the amendments to the Clean Air Act also required EPA to, to uh, coordinate with OSHA and come out with their own set of rules, which they called risk management planning. Um, and then in 2007, the uh, Department of Homeland Security came out with CFATS, the Chemical Facility Anti-Terrorism Standards, which layered another set of regulation on these same facilities. Um, each of these rules, whether it's OSHA or EPA or uh, the Homeland Security, is slightly different from, from the other, but all interrelated. Um, the other thing that happened as a result of the Clean Air Act amendments was the creation of the Chemical Safety Board. And the Chemical Safety Board was modeled on the really excellent example of the National Transportation Safety Board, NTSB, and their accident investigations. And when Congress created the Chemical Safety Board, they uh, even, even mentioned that it, what they found is when agencies that had consultation and enforcement duties went in to do an accident investigation, they kind of looked at it as what's, what violations were made based on laws already on the books. So they created the Chemical Safety Board because having an independent party, you're really looking at root causes, not just what regulations were violated. Maybe you're looking at things that should be regulations but aren't. So pretty interesting series since really 1990 um, where we've, we've gotten PSM, risk management planning, and then Homeland Security um, that's layered on to facilities that have any one of those uh, chemicals over the threshold amount. And the threshold amounts aren't necessarily refineries. I mean, 1,500 pounds of gaseous chlorine could be one cylinder, one 2,000-pound cylinder. So it could even just be water treatment plants or, or other people using chlorine. So anyway, PSM kind of has, has a uh, – there are other idiosyncrasies and, and people who have over 10,000 uh, pounds of flammables in a process and whatnot. But in a nutshell, if people want to see if it covers them, they should look at uh, the standard – and Appendix A and see if uh, they have over the threshold amount of the chemicals on that list. And if they're on the table, then they need to do PSM. Is P a PSM plan something that a person can easily put together themselves? Well, you know, I do it for a living and I'm constantly getting better at it. I've been doing it for about, well, almost since it came out, so over 10 years. Um, and I think it takes a lot of experience and a lot of thought and also kind of a mental marriage between safety and engineering safety. So um, there's a big emphasis on codes and standards. And also there's a big emphasis on compliance, doing the things that they want, want done um, very specifically. And also a history of what has been acceptable to OSHA and EPA and whatnot. So 
Yes, a person could do it, do it themselves, but with good help, they're going to save the problem of reinventing the wheel and making costly mistakes. So, so like any of these things, you know, you get a really good, smart person. It's just a matter of time, but, uh, you know, it's taken me years uh, to get good at it. So it's, it depends. Maybe doing it yourself is better than hiring a consultant who uh, doesn't know what they're doing, and then you end up doing it yourself anyway after you pay them. So it really, really matters who... Uh, you get to help, and if you get good help, it's a lot easier. Well, if you're a facility that's got that single chlorine tank for water treatment versus uh, a petroleum refinery that's got not only the petroleum itself, but all the various chemicals, chlorine, ammonia, etc., that go into the processing, there must be a difference in size or whether I could put one together myself for my little water treatment, you know, tank of chlorine versus a huge petrochemical plant. Yeah, I, I think that the people who, who may need the most help are the middle size. I mean, at a refinery, I would hope, and I don't have a lot of experience with the big refineries and their process safety plans, but I would hope that that company would have a process safety team of consultants, you know, within the company, and they would probably have specialists at each facility because they might have 20 or 30 processes that are all treated separately and covered by process safety management based on the chemicals that they have. So then you might have somewhere that would have one chlorine tank, and you'd have to cover the same principles of PSM and follow it, but it, it would be less complex. But that middle range, which is a lot of companies and primarily the ones I work with, aren't so so rich and have such deep pockets. And maybe it's a sideline. It's not their whole business. Like a refinery is making chemicals, make, you know, taking crude oil and turning it into other things. And a lot of the facilities I work with are refrigeration. So their main main uh, product is food, and their refrigeration is a is a process that's a part of it, but it's not their only business. So the middle middle of the road people, I think, kind of have the hardest time with it because you can't pay for the level of expertise you really need um, in-house or maybe you can't even develop it in-house and it's not your main gig. So um, if you have a chlorine cylinder, it could be pretty basic. You have to cover, follow the same rules, but it would certainly be easier. So what would be the major requirements of the prevention program for safety, uh, for system safety, and process safety? Uh, kind of the major ones, just uh, to give a rundown, not of the entire standard, but a few of the sections. Uh, one section, process safety information. Um, OSHA's named it that, but it could almost be called technical specifications. And they require that you have on hand all the specifications that deal with that chemical in that system. So this is a pretty good idea, I think, is having good drawings for your engineers to use that are current and up to date and have all the information they need, having all the owner's manuals uh, for the equipment in the system, having all the what they call cut sheets, which are uh, bulletins or, or very, very short manuals on, va on valves and controls. Um, it's having the information on your ventilation system. When does it kick on? When does it turn off? Is it explosion proof? How many CFMs do you get? Are you getting good airflow? The design of your safety relief valve system laid out so that someone who's operating these plants and operating the facility can see uh, their interrelationship and how all those things have been designed. And they can also maintain that design as they make changes to stay true. Because the whole premise of, P of PSM is to keep the chemicals in the system that's designed to contain them. 
we use chemicals safely. You know, most facilities do, and we use a lot of chemicals in the United States and worldwide. So if you can keep them, if you can design the system right and keep them in there, you're doing pretty good. So technical specifications and having all that good and current and thorough is one part. Another part is uh, standard operating procedures in writing so that as you have turnover or you're training people or maybe your process is complicated or maybe there's tasks that you only do, uh, you do it once and you don't do it again for a couple months. Um, it's a, it's to make sure that the the uh, standard kind of things you do with the system are done uh, with thought and that they're done consistently so people aren't kind of out there on their own in a trial and error kind of situation. I mean, if you live next to a big chemical plant, you wouldn't want their operators to be working on trial and error, and hopefully they're smart, you know, and can figure it out. You know, not really sink or swim because many people will sink right along with you. So. Standard operating procedures is another big piece. Um, and then maybe one of the biggest also is uh, mechanical integrity, keeping the system maintained to have integrity. So where it's not falling apart from corrosion or bad parts or, or uh, you know, maybe replacement parts that haven't been properly specified or, you know, making sure your pipe is the right size and grade and, and those types of things, making sure when you have contractors in, the installation is proper, or doing pressure tests, having some quality control of that process. Also doing uh, inspection and testing of your system on time. Maybe you have 25 safeties in the system and they're all kind of critical. Well, you don't know if they work unless you test them once in a while. And some of the other equipment, I mean, it, it's all, if you're a big fan of, of preventative maintenance, Dan, you know, you, you uh, if you watch that over time, you see that preventative maintenance kind of stops breakdowns. Well, it can stop accidents, too. So there's this big mechanical integrity provision of, of process safety management where, you know, you got to figure out what your maintenance schedule is, and then you have to do it. So those are the those are really the there, – there are 14 areas in PSM, but those are three of the big ones. Well, we've been doing all of that in the maritime industry for years. This is just good practice. They've turned around and oh. put it into – put it into regulation for chemical facilities but anyone who's not running their business in that way uh, even if it's not as structured as required of PSM is, is probably headed for trouble down the road. Oh I agree completely and although PSM you know seems really complicated and everything but the more I work with it it's my very favorite OSHA standard and I've heard other people within OSHA say they feel like it's the most important one OSHA has ever written. Um, to keep the most amount of people safe and to really prevent catastrophe. And, you know, I've worked with it extensively and deeply for 10 years, and I've I'm, I'm become a big fan of it. I don't like overregulation, you know, as you know, and I don't like rules that are stupid and that everybody goes through some motion with some illusion of safety that uh, wasn't worth the time and trouble. But this is not one of them. This is, I mean, you can run it that way. You can, you know, you see it, I'm sure, in Maritime, too, where, you are, uh, you know, you can over check things or, you know, you don't get any work done because you're being, you know, so meticulous about things that don't really matter. person can run a PSM plan that way, but you can also really embrace the good parts and use those to your advantage to end up with a, with a really nice, uh, good system that has integrity and that uh, works the way it's designed. When I was in the Coast Guard, we would have uh, preventative maintenance schedules that would require us to take something as simple as a, a, a dryer, a household appliance dryer, like you'd put your clothes in in any house, and basically tear the thing apart 
twice a year to make sure that the wire connections were tight and that there was no lint anywhere in there. And, of course, after you tore it apart once and put it back together again, it never worked right again. You know, they're just not designed to have those kinds of things done to them. And, and it took hundreds of man hours to do these various little projects that, in my mind, did not contribute to safety. Oh, you bet. And people can take this to that extreme, too. And that, to me, that's like a misinterpretation. But P- PMs of, you know, cleaning the parts that need cleaning, doing it on a schedule where you're staying ahead of it, uh, oiling, greasing, looking at, checking tolerances on a couple of key things, you know. I mean, that's just good practice if, if you have the time and you're, you have the resources to do it. So some of the, the ships that I'm responsible for don't, you know, they have no requirements for anything like PSM. But we bring operators in from all over the place, and even though we have a lot of similar vessels in the fleet, things are different. And we hang standard operating procedures, laminated procedures, right on the pieces of equipment. And it's great to have them in a book somewhere, but if a guy comes on board a boat at 2 o'clock in the morning that he hasn't been on in six months and needs to parallel a couple of generators, and he's got the same generators on a boat somewhere else in the country... But, you know, we've done maintenance on them and some modifications, and now there's a whole different set of relays. You know, to, to make them go find a book is a hard thing. And so, you know, we just hang them right on the equipment. It, it looks a little cluttered in the engine room because there's all these tags, written tags, hanging on things. But it, it sure paid benefit over time. Oh, it, I think you save a lot of money. I mean, if someone fries a generator, how much time and expense is that going to cost? And with PSM, you know, you can have a release that's substantial that could kill people and even affect the community and public relations and lives and and, uh, health of people around. So you just don't want to, uh, you know, why go down that road if you could put in some things like you're talking about, some job aids, some standard operating procedures, some things to give people a chance to do it right. Not just, hey, you know, you've never been on this boat, but why don't you figure it out and uh, you better be sure not to fry that generator yeah. Hey, are all of these regulations equally important, or does OSHA consider some to be more important than others? Well, um, with PSM, it's it's uh, OSHA's main one about um, chemicals. It does incorporate. Uh, what's interesting is there's a line in PSM. PSM is a performance standard, uh, meaning, you know, I guess to, to sum it up, they uh, there's only about three four pages of regulation. But this is one of the biggest stand. This is the biggest standard they have. So they give you a little bit of guidance, and uh, and then you have to go create the program based on that guidance. So it's a performance standard. They're not going to tell you, you know, your compressor can't be over 1,700 RPMs or those kinds of things. But there is a line in the standard that incorporates other OSHA standards and rules as well, and it says that you have to follow safe work practices. So that would be considered safe entry of confined spaces, lockout, tagout. PPE standards, uh, respiratory protection, and those types of things. So, I don't, I don't know what's, what's uh, with PSM. What's most important, whether it's um, OSHA's or EPA's or Homeland Security, um, but they all just kind of dovetail. It, I think what's interesting about PSM, one thing that people don't necessarily realize, is there's a little bit of double jeopardy going on, as OSHA and EPA can cite you for the same exact thing. So because their rules parallel so closely, um, you, you really, you could have OSHA one week and EPA the next and get fined 
twice for the same situation. So OSHA's uh, PSM is OSHA's rule, risk management is EPA's rule, and then we have the, the filing and submission of chemical facility facility information uh, that's Homeland Securities. So that's kind of how they how they work together. Amy, do, do facilities struggle with one part of this standard more than they struggle with others? Have you ex- experienced a part where people just run into a wall and say, God, I just don't understand that? Yeah, there, there are quite a few parts like that. One is mechanical integrity because it takes a lot of work to figure out what your maintenance schedules are going to be. But, of course, you have no hope of following some kind of consistent schedule if you don't have one. Um, so you actually have to look in all your owner's manuals, figure out what's recommended, uh, get an idea of what's generally accepted in the industry also as far as good practice goes, put that together, and then do your maintenance according to that schedule, and then document that you did your maintenance according to that schedule. So there's a mind blower right there. And if you don't get some computer-generated uh, maintenance work order kind of system set up or you don't have a really good paper system set up, um, stuff falls through the cracks all over the place. Um, another area is I see a lot of PSM programs, and some of them are with help from consultants where they'll really under-report the specification information. For instance, um, you're supposed to document your safety relief valve system and the rationale for the system. So to me, that is you know writing down every safety relief valve you have and making sure that the vessel it's connected to, that it's the safety relief valve is a sufficient size for that vessel and is the sufficient is the right set pressure and everything so you don't overpressurize the vessel and that you don't have too long and too skinny of discharge piping on that safety relief valve. Um, you, they all discharge outside, so if you get an overpressure situation, they'll discharge to a water tank or they'll discharge to the roof um, to a safe location, you know, instead of spewing out inside your room. And... Uh, what I see is like those people will write, oh, safety relief valves in the system are mostly 300 psi, and and you have 48 safety relief valves. Some are 75, some are 100, some are 150, some are 250, some are 300. Each one needs to be what it is. So it doesn't really matter to you that there's you know the highest setting is 300. It doesn't tell you anything interesting when you go to change those valves, or if you're trying to determine what. You know, did you use the right valve or in the last 20 years, you know, did someone swap this valve out with one that's inferior? I mean, is it designed right still? Um, anyway, so people drastically underreport. They don't give their operators and their own facility people enough information about the installation so they can verify that they're right. They'll just say, they'll just write up two sentences for safety relief valve rationale and design and, it, and think that that, dis, that covers the design. So I see a lot of under-reporting or, or uh, really missing an opportunity in that regard. Um, I see a lot of mechanical integrity programs that aren't followed up on. Um, and operating procedures, I think a lot of folks struggle with, uh, with how to write those with enough detail but not too much. Yeah, and it seems like... If you got enough detail in there that all this stuff fits on a wall 20 feet long, it's going to be awful hard for a guy who's coming to do that service on one relief valve to, to find that information. Yeah, so the trick is really organizing. And I always tell people, you know, you're not afraid of the phone book because you know you can go to M and find the number that starts with an M. I mean, the way it's organized really matters. So it can be four feet thick, or you're not afraid of a dictionary because you know it's alphabetical. 
So the, the art with these programs and the things that I always strive to do is make them ultimately uh, usable, where you know exactly where to go to find stuff. And, and if you get an owner's manual, Dan, like let's say with your refrigerator or something, I mean, they're usually laid out pretty good where, you you know, you'll have a sheet of specs and what motor is in it and that kind of thing and how many amps it draws maybe and, you know, a little troubleshooting guide and that kind of stuff. So it's definitely possible um, to lay it out properly and have everything really well run. We've, we've also been working with our big new thing this year um, and I work wise is we're going to try to go paperless for PSM where we uh, use a lot of spreadsheets on the computer and have a control panel link that you just open up on the computer and then uh, have all your files right there, scan in all the manuals and everything. And, and uh, you only have in paper what's handiest in paper, um, but everything is on the computer also. And uh, it makes it a lot easier to work with. Yeah, well, going paperless for, for anything is, is, is great. I picked up one of these neat receipt scanners. I'm trying my 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 desk right now is just covered in stuff, and I'm trying to just get all of it into the computer as PDFs in some way that I can find them again if I want them, because I sure as heck can't find them the way they're sitting on the desk now. Yeah, you bet. And you know, it's it's like a lot of things in life. You know, if you're organized, things are a lot easier. So um, the trick is, is I I really believe is getting good help. Um, a lot of people who are in charge of PSM and ends up falling on the engineering departments primarily. And, you know, they didn't go into engineering to do paperwork all day or to organize it or create some incredible system of paperwork. I mean, I, I dig doing that, but I think a lot of engineers who are really good with their hands and who are good at working on these systems, they don't want to make that their career. So I think it's a good area for a consultant, but um, it's got to be the right one. Yeah, well, the guys that work for me that are really good mechanics, really like to get out there and do that work, man, they're, like, allergic to paperwork. Oh, yeah. And and I, I try to keep as much of that away from them as possible because they really get done what uh, what they're good at, and they'll, you know, it'll take ten times as long to do the the paperwork on the valve change that, you know, took them 10 minutes and it's just a waste of their time. Well, and I know you guys use computer maintenance on the boats, you know, so you can give them a work order, say, hey, go change the oil. Here's a little checklist work order. Give this, give me this sheet of paper back when it's, when it's done. That's what you want your, your maintenance people to do, yeah. you know, not sit at the computer for hours, one finger at a time. Exactly. Um, sometimes it, you know, some guys, it's just like you said, they're allergic to it, and why should they? Yeah. I mean, their expertise lies somewhere else. Well, Amy, this story kind of started with uh, this $130,000 fine for our Suncor Energy. What have you found the enforcement climate to be like out there? Is this an anomaly that these guys were fined, or is OSHA actively inspecting? What, what could somebody expect to, to have happen to them? Well, a few years back, there was also um, an OSHA inspection, probably one of the most famous ones is the Armour Swift plant in the Midwest. Uh, they make, I think, lunch meat or hot dogs or something like that. And uh, they had an employee complaint, or several of them, where they talked about poor maintenance and rusted, rusted pipe. And uh, their fine was, after negotiation, was bargained down to $250,000. So when you're in the PSM area, you're, you're on a whole new level. Um, and, and like I said before, with, with uh, EPA, you're basically um, getting really massive fines, especially in this region. 
I mean, they are, uh, they're going for it. Even small companies are seeing $100,000 fines, and it's not uncommon. I think the EPA range, typically what I see is fifty dollars to $100,000. So um, EPA is really the more scary enforcer uh, for most companies, and, uh, and that what you saw in the article there isn't unusual at all. Amy, you raise a really interesting point. You know, I think I was thinking about OSHA conducting random inspections, but complaints from employees. I mean, OSHA maintains a confidential hotline, I assume, although I'm uncertain that EPA does the same thing. I mean, you're really, if you're treating your employees badly and, and having really large safety problems, that could be your biggest risk of having enforcement show up. Oh, yeah. If your system isn't safe and your employees know and they're trying to get you to spend a little money here and there to fix things that badly need it and you're not doing it, you know, they're working in kind of an unsafe situation. So they're motivated, I think, to uh, make the call um, and, you know, try to save their own life and while still having a job, you know. So it, if, if, if companies aren't maintaining their systems well, um, I think that... Uh, you know, you could run into employees certainly who who want it to be better. Yeah, I've i we've had uh, a guy I've worked with who has has done some of those things to different companies, and it, it's been you know it takes up a lot of time. It's not just about the regulators. All of a sudden, management and other people are are devoting their time to dealing with these other issues that they should have dealt with in the first place. So there's you know a first a first line of advice you can give employers that are subject to these regulations is. You know, don't piss off your employees. <laughs> Can you, what, what, yeah. other, what other advice might you give them? Well, I, I would say if they're dealing with chemicals in a process that could be dangerous to somebody, um, I think that they have a responsibility to maintain that system better than they would other ones that aren't as dangerous. Like if you have a water system or a hydraulic system or um, saltwater processed water system or, or whatever, who cares? But if you have an airplane, I mean, you can see how the FAA treats airplane maintenance and, and everything. If you have a, a chemical system, you know, you better be a little, you're, you're starting to get more in the airplane level um, as it should be. So you're keeping people safe from the, uh, from the chemical and maintaining it. And, you know, one thing that I know we don't have time to get into today, Dan, is just because people aren't over the threshold doesn't let them off the hook. Facilities with under 10,000 pounds of ammonia fall under what's called the EPA General Duty Clause. And that is they have a general duty to maintain their systems um, maintain their systems so that it's, they're safe. Maintain and operate their systems and design their systems. So anyone with, let's say, an anhydrous ammonia system or a chlorine system, no matter how much they have, boy, they better be paying really good attention because they're not immune to um, massive fines and enforcement by EPA. Well, there you go. PSM questions from our expert, Amy. And is that chat over here in the background? Oh, yes. Yeah, my uh, my Black Lab uh, Chatham is a little whiny today, so I'm sorry. Sorry about that. You guys are doing some moving. Aren't you moving into new offices here in the next day or two? Yeah, this is a big weekend. Uh, I think tomorrow we start in a new office, so it's been uh, pretty hectic around here. Yeah, you're, you sound actually a, a touch hollow. You must have almost nothing left in your office now. I'm sitting on the floor of an empty room in the old office, so uh, it's pretty weird around this place. That's exciting. I can't wait to, to see the new space. 
Well, thank you, Amy. Appreciate it. That's Amy Does, our safety guru from iWorkWise, and we'll try to catch up with you in another week. All right. Thanks, Dan. Have a good one. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Spot on Safety. If you'd like to ask a question or leave a comment, you can email us. The address is spotonsafety at iWorkWise.com.